Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Paul Listic Behind the Curtain, my opportunity to step away from the world of politics and law on WGN-TV and explore the world of theater with you. This one's a really interesting one because it's about a play in town that um, uh, about two men who you would have never guessed had a friendship. Prize fighter Gene Tunney, remember him? You might be too young, but you still might probably know about him. And playwright George Bernard Shaw. It's amazing and unbelievable as it as it can be. And yet, this is an actual story that occurred. And this is our opportunity to talk to the actors who played George Bernard Shaw and also Gene Tunney. But how do we know it's all real? Because we're going to talk to Gene Tunney's son, Jay Tunney, who wrote the book upon which this play was based. This is a special podcast because not only will you meet, and I'm going to do it in this order, not only will you meet the actor who plays George Bernard Shaw, Richard Hensel, who, by the way, Richard, you do, I mean, your your resemblance to Shaw is uncanny. <laughs> it's also intentional. Oh, well, there you go. And I, my suggestion is keep the beard growing because next season we're doing a Walt Whitman show and you are like okay. ready to go. Awesome. Awesome. I'm ready. And playing, playing the role of uh, Gene Tunney, fighter Gene Tunney, uh, is Sam Pearson. And, you know, Sam, I know there's a little less, uh, you know, connection between you and, and Gene Tunney in terms of the look, but I'm going to tell you about a book that I've been reading through. And, uh, you know, your look is not far from him. Um, he just didn't have a beard or anything. So you're good. Here's how yeah. we're going to verify everything we talk about. Because joining us as well is the son of Gene Tunney. It is Jay Tunney, J.R. Tunney, who is the author of a book called The Prize Fighter and the Playwright, Gene Tunney and Bernard Shaw, which if my picture wasn't frozen right now, I would be holding up because I have it in my hand and um, uh, reading through it. Jay, an amazing work. And congratulations on this work and then having this play be developed about your father's life. Thank you. Obviously, the book came first, so I, I just need to ask you what, I don't know, I mean, you were you were a young man when there was this, you know, connection between uh, Gene Tunney, George Bernard Shaw. Can you just give us a little history as to how you became aware of that relationship? Did it floor you when you learned about it? And how did you learn that this needed to become a book? Yeah, well, I, I didn't. Where I first recognized it was when I was about 10 or 11 years of age, and uh, he had, had pictures, he had photographs, he had busts of Shaw really all over the house, but especially in the living room where we all gathered after dinner, and he always took the seat that faced the, the, the great portrait of Shaw. And uh, and he just always really uh, dug Shaw. He knew a lot of literary people, he knew a lot of newspaper people and everything dad did his entire life. He was he had a direction toward people like that, of men of letters and things like that. You would think being a boxer, 13 years at professional boxing, he might have had another leaning. Uh, but no, this, this was it for him his whole life. And he thought he enjoyed Shaw right from the very get-go, uh, the best of all, he said, of all the men he'd met in his life. 
including Winston Churchill and everything else. He he always liked Shaw the best. And it's uh, an amazing. He, Go ahead. I was just going to say he, he met Shaw. Did you want to know how he met Shaw? It's a kind of a lengthy story. Well, but, we'll do that, and then we'll go talk to the actors who play those roles. So, sure. How, how did they initially meet? Well, it was through that uh, boxing book that Shaw wrote uh, when he was only about 27 years of age uh, called Casual Byron's Profession. It, Shaw had started out wanting to be a novelist. And uh, he found that hard going. He couldn't. He was an immigrant from England, from uh, Ireland uh, into England. And and when he was 20 and he tried the writing game and he he found it hard. He couldn't sell a book. And uh, that was the real problem. But it was not due to Shaw. It turned out it was really due to the audience. Uh, but nonetheless, he, he didn't really want to stay with uh, no sellers and things like that. And so he kept, got into playwriting after the uh, after the books were no good. But the fourth book, Casual Byron's Profession, uh, was a good one. It came the closest to really making commercial sales. And uh, and he he liked it. Uh, Dad did. Uh, and then when he became champion in 1926, suddenly the head of Paramount Studios writes uh, Shaw a cable saying, look, we're doing the, a film on Casual Barnes' profession. We'd like to uh, get the rights from you and pay you some money and all that. And Shaw immediately didn't like it because he didn't like the original Hollywood of 1926. Mm. So there are a lot of problems with it. So he said no to that. And the, the real reason what started the whole thing going was Gene Tunney saying he'd like to do a stage production of Casual Byron's profession and play the title role, which was Casual Byron. And then the talk got around uh, to the news guys and some producers, and they were all saying, you know, this Tunney looks exactly like Casual Byron. And Shaw says, yeah, come to think of it, he does. Anyway, one thing led to another, and Shaw and Gene Tunney met after Tunney's retirement two years later in 1928 at, at, his, at his apartment in London. He invited Gene and Polly to come, and, and they finally met them. He'd always heard that he looked like Casual Barn. Well, it was a fictitious character, so what What do you say? Anyway, Shaw thought that he, the minute he saw Dad, he thought he was wonderful, thought it was just great. So he got his great uh, portraitist at that time, Sir John Lavery, to do an immediate uh, uh, painting of Dad, uh, who, and, and the, the, the Lavery said, oh, this is a gift of the gods. Oh, my God, the minute he looked at that, it was really funny. But anyway, it, that's the way they met. And they right. stayed. And I love the way you refer to Tunney as though you read about the guy, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not, that he was your, not that he was your father, but which he was. But let me let me come to you, Richard. You, we'll start with George Bernard Shaw. First of all, as I've been reading, and I can see I'm unfrozen now, so I can, but I have a green screen. But let's see if this book. I want I want to prove to Jay that I really have the book. So you can get there. You go. You kind of see it pop <laughs> yeah. up there. Hey. Jay's book. Yeah. Get it on Amazon. The Prize Fighter and the Playwright. But anyway, um, so I don't know if you know, 
I, I should ask, did you read the book? Because I've been reading the book, and so I learned so much about Shaw. Uh, I'm a collector of history. I actually have plays signed by George Bernard Shaw in my collection. Um, I, I learned from Jay that he was a very generous man. It was kind of a picture of Shaw I just didn't have. Talk to me, Richard, about the uh, the research you did. One caveat. A couple of years ago, I interviewed an actor who was playing a historical figure, and I asked what research that actor, I'm going to let the actor go nameless, that actor did to learn about the portrayal, and the answer back was nothing. I got a script and I read it. So uh, <laughs> you answer it as you choose to. Well, of course, there, there's a world of stuff you can look up, and I've been spending the last, well, six months uh, thinking about it and looking up stuff on the internet and looking at Jay's book and looking at all the at everything there is. Uh, looked at a lot of the fights. Uh, you can watch a lot of the fights and boxing matches. You can also look at a lot of George Bernard Shaw talking to the cameraman, to the photographers. He was quite good. He had a very different style when he was on camera. He was really obviously well aware that he was on camera. So he affected a lot of things that I don't know if he did in private. But uh, I would actually say, yeah, the script is the main thing. And that's as an actor, that's your job. And if the audience can't get it from the script, then all you better be able to do the script. Research is important, but you do have to be able to uh, carry the story as it's presented. It's and, and there's no, no question about that. And Sam, I'll come to you. I mean, that's true. But the difference in a show yeah. like this, from my perspective, is you are portraying historic figures. These are not, you know, it's not a person that's never lived. They really live. Um, most people who come to see the show will not have known them or met them. Um, but Sam, how about you? Here you are. You had extra pressure on you because you're having to portray somebody whose son is standing right behind you going, oh, that's not what my dad was like, or that's exactly what my dad was like. Yeah, there's pressure, but there's also, Paul, it's a great, phenomenal resource. Uh, you know, I like to do a lot of classical theater. And then you're working with a text that's, you know, been written by somebody who died 400 years ago. And right here, I have a primary source for any questions that I want to ask. Now, when it comes to, like, implementing, there are two parts. There is an actor's curiosity, which I think is vital to crafting a character. And then there is uh, becoming inundated with non-useful information. I think what Richard is talking about is grounding yourself in the story that you're trying to tell. But also, I was able to use Jay and his daughter, Teresa, as primary sources for informing my eventual portrayal. I love to look at facts that will inform character. Uh, like there's a cool thing that Gene Tunney spent the winter of 1921 as a lumberjack in Ottawa, Canada to work on training his muscles. And he was just that kind of a guy, you know? And that kind of diligence and effort informs the character that you're going to play for the purposes of our play, specifically the tenacity with which my character goes after uh, a pursuit of higher meaning after his career. So it's like, I love to find out fun details that will inform the character. But for me, the most important thing and where I started crafting this character was, I believe, the 10th chapter of Jay's book, wherein he describes Polly and Jean's relationship. The beginning of it, the romance, um, the love because really I think at the crux of this story there's a love story there and that was really helpful just to get the context of this man and this woman in this time and uh, the role that they had in each other's lives and it's what a very well written passage 
I'm so glad you 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 said that, and, and we give Douglas Post the the credit for writing the the, the play uh, or the book for this show. And Jay, I want to ask you about that. Well, I have to say that, and let's give the shout out to to uh, Polly to to your mom. You know, I was there opening night. You were there, Jay, and. I remember an intermission coming up to you. I'm not going to give any plot points away. I, you can talk about the the plot points between the three of you. But I remember coming up to you at intermission. Um, I was worried about something that involved Polly. And so I asked you a question like, will this be okay? And, of course, you said <laughs> you'll have to watch the second act. And it hit me after the show that, of course, this has to work out in a certain way because I'm talking to you as a result. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave that real vague and people can see the show and understand <laughs> what I'm referring to. But you and I would not have had that conversation if I was, if the other things had happened uh, in the real world. The primary so, source right yeah, the there. Primary, the primary <laughs> source. So Jay, when, when Douglas Post turned your book into the, the script book for the play, um, how was it his doing? Were you there next to him the whole time going, you need this, you need this? Or did you say, do your thing and, and let me see how it comes out, Doug? Do your thing, and let me see how it comes out. Uh, we our first we met and uh, agreed that this would be a, a wonderful thing for him to do to do a play off the book, uh, based on the book. And uh, so we got talking about it, and we talked about it. And he then he had not read the book, and so he took the book and he read it, and a few others, and uh, we got meeting again after he had done all that and we met again and talked about maybe the section of the book or the part of the book that might come out the best in a play and um and we both agreed that brioni would be the perfect section to really get a meaningful play out of this and so we we've been in agreement really right from the very get-go on this thing and I think he came up with a, a wonderful play. We talked about it uh, until such time as legally I did not get allowed to talk about it any longer. Uh, and the playwright then had all the rights and the fortitude to go ahead with the play. I, you know, I talked about it for a good year, year and a half, maybe even two years about how it fits and how it should work. But it was his final decision there uh, that uh, allowed him to go ahead. And I allowed him to go ahead and said, go ahead. And we have a partnership now in in this book and in this play. I'm glad you said said that because, as you know, your lawyer is a good friend of mine. I was just about to talk to him about, you know, uh, renegotiating those those deals. But you're happy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) <laughs> but my world has been one of performing with your with your lawyer uh, on this on the lawyer stage. Uh, so Richard, Richard, the way that you portray, I know this gets gets directed as as well by uh, Nick Sandys, who, by the way, what an amazing director. I kind of I kind of saw um, George Bernard Shaw as a bit. I'm trying to find the right word. I want to say a bit eccentric, whimsical. I don't know that he was, but I read him that way. But is that the sense you get? Because you're you're this kind of fun character as you, inter- as you interact with Gene Tunney. And I kind of thought, I wonder if that's what Shaw was really like. Well, Doug has written some great scenes, great interactions. And I think that, uh, Nick brought so much in the way of uh, humor that's needed to keep a show going up and down. And that's what's wonderful about this play is I think we agree we get serious and we get silly, then we have fun, then we have a debate, then we get serious and we get more serious. And it just goes back and forth. And uh, 
I think it, it makes it an interesting thing to just to uh, witness as an audience member. But uh, my my feeling is that uh, we. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I say I read him as a little eccentric, a little whimsical. Eccentric. Well, yeah. Well, I'm going from the videos, you know, all the I mean, the films that are online, you can see how his eccentricity and the way he acted. And like I said, that was in, in front of cameras, but you can read it in his writing. And a lot of the characters that I've played have a lot of Shaw in them. I did, I did Dear Liar. I played Shaw in that, and I did uh, Captain Shotover in This Alliance, who is very much like a irascible Shaw character, and also has a romance, in a way, in that play with a young woman in her 20s. And that's something else you might not have known about Shaw. Fascinating. By the way, for for viewers who are watching... might have happened, yes. Yeah. Viewers who are watching, or or, or folks who are listening, who say they've heard of George Bernard Shaw, but say, oh, I don't know if I've ever seen his work. I want to just say, yes, you probably have, because aside from the the plays you just mentioned, he wrote Pygmalion. Which of course right. became My Fair Lady, one of the biggest of all time. So that's the guy uh, that yes. we're talking about. And Sam, yes. let me come, if I can come back to you, Sam. You know, you you I want to follow up on something you said. You you talk about the love story between obviously uh, uh, your character and, and Jay's mom, uh, Polly. And, and so in following up on that, what I really noticed was you have these two relationships that you've got to pursue. You've got Polly, who you've got to keep happy, and you love her so dearly, clearly. But you're also kind of just really entranced with this friendship you can have with George Bernard Shaw. So I guess internally or how it plays out, how do you, you got to balance that out, right? Cause you kind of want to say, Polly, I want to go out with George tonight, but no, I love you. I swear. I think that there's two, there's a, a third relationship, which is Gene's relationship with the outside world. He has something that I can relate to, which is uh, uh, at least the way it's written, I should say, um, sort of an inferiority complex, having grown up on the docks uh, of uh, Greenwich Village and trying to fit into the upper echelons of really Western society as a whole. So there's this third relationship of trying to prove himself as worthy uh, of esteem in the eyes of these upper circles. So I think that his relationship with Shaw, he's really pursuing um, almost accreditation when it begins. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to legitimize himself by being associated with the playwright. But I think ultimately he finds in him sort of an ersatz father figure. Um, and I think that the play is about shunning that third relationship, the managing the expectations of said elites and really focusing on the two concrete relationships in front of him, the love and support of his wife who loves him, whether he's a part of those circles or not, and really the deep and growing friendship uh, that he has with Shaw, which is very much based um, in conflict, we see. The two men disagree constantly, whether it's uh, topics of conversation or religion. Uh, they're kind of always squabbling, and that really becomes the heart of the play. And if I could t- touch on what you were asking Richard about, you know, the the truth behind um, Shaw's extra eccentricities, I think Doug Post has succeeded in really creating sort of a Shadian drama about Shaw. So we sort of play these characters in a Shaw-style play that's also about Tunney and Shaw, um, which is lovely to see Shaw embody some of the eccentricities of some of his <laughs> more well-penned characters. And if I, could, if I could add, one of, the last, one of my last lines in the play 
he just offhand says, we never had any children. He says, in, look, in retrospect, I think I should have pressed the point. His wife never wanted children. And yet, here he is with his ostensible son. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good that point. Close. Yeah, yeah. It's and Jay, good. as you watch this play develop and unfold, uh, by the way, you know, you could have also just written a book about your dad, Gene Tunney, the prize fighter, right? And there are scenes in your book, as I said, I'm reading it. There are scenes in the book where we get the fight scenes. I mean, so you kind of, you kind of go through that. And then this focus comes in on the special relationship, which is exactly what it should be. But I'm sort of curious, Jay, as you, you were there opening night. And I know you were there watching this all develop, but in the end, if your dad and maybe Shaw were watching this play, do you think as the son, do you think they'd go, you got this, that, that, that is real, or do you, or would you love? Well, it's theater. I see a little embellishment here. How do you think they would view it? The former, I think. Uh, Shaw was very. You got it. You got. You got the reality, and you also have the humor. The man was the most humorous man that ever lived, and half the time they were giggling about something or laughing about something. Uh, it sounds, my book didn't talk almost enough about humor, I don't think, because I really tried to learn a lot about Shaw from the Shaw Festival in England, and a lot of English were coming over, a lot of scholars and things, and I, I used their heads a lot, but they preferred a scholar. They prefer a Shaw that was waspy and, and cynical. Uh, not a Shaw that we preferred, uh, which was the Shaw of a man uh, who showed his great humor and his his, his sharpness of mind. Who uh, he had a great Irish sense of humor, and Dad did too. And so they they just always were hitting that, that knob, and it was it was fun just to be around each other with the humor. They both loved books, yes. But that was something they just didn't do a lot of talking about in front of other people. They saved it until they were walking around Brioni and things like that. And and Richard and Sam, I want to kind of present both of you with this one. I want to talk about the set and the pressure that the that the very simple set put on you. Uh, I mean, you both have very classic works in your background. I mean, this is this is exactly the kind of of play both of you should be doing. Um, you haven't done anything quite as perhaps as uh, challenging as I got to do a shout out to Jay's daughter, Teresa, who I met that night. Cause I looked at her and I went, I know that woman. And sure enough, <laughs> I got to tell you, Jay, your daughter was in one of the greatest movies of all time. Dude, where's my car? And I, and you just, she just outshines, she outshines both of you actors. I'm sorry, but when it comes to dude, where's my car, but I know you agree, but here's my question for you. I had to get that in somewhere. Uh, my, oh, yeah. my question for you guys, the set is sparse. I mean, it, it's it, it. You feel like you're walking into this, um, uh, like you're walking into an IMAX theater. Actually, as you look at it, and the pressure is on you guys because you've got some benches and you got some props because the bench is open. But this is not a scene where we're watching desks come in and out, and or uh, except those things that you make on stage. But you know what I'm talking about. We're not we're not seeing things drop from the sky. All this kind of stuff. That puts a lot. Those of are very on. expensive. All those yeah. things are very very expensive. And unfortunately, sometimes you see the most expensive sets and there's not really a play happening. But I, that, I won't get specific well, no, about that. But Richard, that, but that's still this is like that. This is like the Herald from Second City. I did the Herald for many years. 
and it's a herald. You sit off to the side and you jump in and you take 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 a place in the scene. And when you're done, you sit down and watch. And Isn't uh, that I think the, the audience loves it. I think they love this type of theater. You don't you don't really have to. Ha- I mean, I love it that they spend money on some of these shows, but you can actually have things without a crashing chandelier. You can still have an exciting story. I think. Uh, good point. Well, that that Great I'll take story. that as the answer. Makes sense. And Sam, I mean, again, that you must as an actor, you must love. The I think the pressure that it puts on you've got to deliver. You can't you can't watch the crashing chandelier and, and have people <laughs> leave the theater going. Well, I didn't really like the show, but I love the chandelier. That was fabulous. Paul, you know what the other thing that it sort of resembles is a boxing ring. And uh, I have a line early on where um, Shaw asked me what's it like to box, and my first line is, "Well, you're on a platform surrounded by bright lights." And I look out and there's bright lights. And then the next line is all around dimly in the dark. You can see the crowd. I won't bore you with the speech, but there are many similarities in there. And pressure. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I uh, This is uh, my first time back on stage since the pandemic. Wow. And our first preview was sort of an oh, my God moment of like, we're really out here. And all I've got is Richard. And all I've got is Maddie. <laughs> and hopefully my memory. Um, but that's delightful, and that's the thrilling part of acting that we all keep going back to. And to your point, I think the most fun about it is that there is no expensive set. Uh, in nerdier circles, we sort of have a, a saying of let Lear be the storm, um, uh, meaning, you know, allow the actors to conjure the sets around them. And we traverse different parts of the island. We go from London to Brioni, um, all the way out to A at St. Lawrence in the English countryside in a post-war England. And the only thing that we have to show for that in the two hours traffic of our stage is me and Richard sort of looking around and being like, ah, what a lovely mountainside we're on today. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just, I can't tell you how much I love that sort of conjuring that we get to do as actors on a simple set with uh, great costumes and great co-stars. It's, it's a joy. But you do have these little, I mean, after all, Richard, there is an olive branch, right? That That's real. And, and, uh, and, and of course, boxing. And actually, there, there I've, actually, I've actually held the real olive branch that Shaw picked from that tree. Really? Yes. Well, uh, I, so, also, I also got to put on Gene Tunney's hat. Well, is that because, Jay, do you have, do you have those Teresa. things, Jay? Is that part of your Teresa. collection? Mother, oh, my mother twig. She kept it all her life until right at the end. That twig that he handed her at that particular meeting. It's a little, at least I, I was, was always taught that, Richard. I don't know. I really don't. But she was, she held that Erewhon as a, as a dear, dear gift. I don't think it made much sense to people. And even mother, it might not have made too much sense. It was just the gifter who was the important person at that moment. And then he did take that little olive tree branch and gave it to her. And she kept it all her life. And she opened it two years before her death, 98, she was at that point. And she brought it out. And the damn thing was just as green as it was when she put it in the 1920s. (laughs) Astounding. Wow. Yeah. That that is, I wish that was in the program. That story should be in the play program. That is just amazing. And Sam, I imagine you got to wear Gene Tunney's hat and those kind of things as well. I did. And that was thrilling and exciting. And while we're talking about the hat, 
Jay has been so respectful of letting us kind of take the characters and allow them to, you know, infuse with ourselves as we do in acting. But there was one note after that first preview where Jay said, you know, I don't think dad would tilt his hat like that. <laughs> because I was coming out with a total like Sam Spade. Sinatra, they have Sinatra thing going on. Yeah, and it's not a film noir, but I think I just really like tilting that hat to the side. So Jay, thank you. I now wear it a little more straight on. I love I'm that. glad you did that. And, I know and Sam, I know exactly what you mean when you said the look of that tilted hat. If I had a hat, I would naturally go there too. So Jay, let me just, just ask you, what, good, because that was enough for you to give a note on it, what did that say to you about your dad's personality? Because, I mean, it sounds small, maybe it is small, but the notion of a tilted hat versus not a tilted hat was enough to make you say something. He's, he was more conservative than you could possibly believe. Uh, he was. He's straight, straight shooter and very conservative, though, in his way. He's very Catholic. He was a Roman Catholic. And uh, until he got near Shaw, and then he started, that started fading a little bit. But uh, yes. And, and I was wondering the first time we read this a year ago, we all got together at the player. Um, I thought, is somebody just making this up because they want to prove a point? But since then, I've learned that. Everything in our play actually happened, and you will be stunned if you thought that Shaw had no feelings or had no heart. Exactly. You think he was a cynical exactly. idiot. Yeah. So cool. Pretty and Sam, the other, Sam, the, another thing that you guys have to love, you are performing at Theater Wit uh, on Belmont at, at 1229 West Belmont. Just, and I'll say that address again before we wrap. But um, this is a very intimate space you're not at the auditorium uh you're not at the lyric opera so you're at a place where you have well roughly a hundred people who are there and that means that connection between actor and audience not only has to be there i'm happy to say is there but is that a preference for you sam and would you rather oh i'd love to be at the lyric doing this or do you love the (laughs) intimacy of theater with no i love the immediacy of having an audience right there they are Truly the third character in every scene in our play and in any other play. That doesn't mean you have to be pandering to them, but the reason we're up there on those boards is to tell a story. You need somebody to to listen. Now, Richard and I would do it to an empty house. We really would. Most actors would. I mean, like the one behind me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Theater Wit, there are three spaces in there. Uh, My best friend happens to be doing a play in the space next door. We get out at the same time. We're all sharing a green room. I think the reason that I love theater and Chicago theater specifically is the amazing community that we have built here. And a part of that community, a massive part is the audience. And to have them that immediate, a hundred people still kind of seen in the lights and we can talk to them after every show is absolutely thrilling. And it's the part of acting that I've missed, you know, doing auditions for three years in front of a Zoom screen. Uh, it's that immediate human connection that keeps us all coming back. Although, haven't some of those auditions remained on Zoom because it's easier for people? (laughs) Oh, they're all on Zoom. So we've all gotten... I've got a ring light on. This is my Zoom background. You're looking at it, man. This is the future. <laughs> I, I, I sure understand. I've done it for years as well on, on the television side. And Richard, oh, there's Richard pulling his green screen behind you? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> I love, yeah. Well, when you get a green screen, you can do one of these, too, like I have behind me. You just can't oh, have anything I, I, up like Jay's book because it full, just gets one. <laughs> I have a whole file folder of those. <laughs> and, and Richard, did you have any concern now that you're back on stage with this connection, too? I mean, 
I have a feeling that for a long time, there was probably a sense that would the pandemic ever end? Would we actually be performing live again in front of theater? I mean, so for so long, I, even I was involved in working with shows and different things that were just, they were done by Zoom. There were no options. I, I, yeah. I, I, well, I don't know that it did come back the way it could have come back. Um, I, you know, I moved here in 76. I've got some old readers from those days. And this theater section is just page after page after page yeah. after page. And it was all good stuff. I mean, not 90% something you'd really want to see, you know. And uh, I'm so, I was sorry that to see in-person auditions go, all the casting agencies that had to slim down. And it's all, it's bean counting, I'm afraid, to, in the end. And I don't know if it's, uh, J. Walter Thompson once said, if we start doing this for the money instead of for having fun making TV commercials, take those apples and throw them down the elevator shaft. We always had a bowl of apples for uh. voice people. Voice people like me to apple through throat. And he said, if you're going to do this for money, just take my name off the building and throw the apples down the elevator. Uh, powerful and statement. And we just agreed this to a strike authorization for after SAG. Uh, I don't know what's going to come up their negotiations, but it's concerning that you know, people want to go to the theater. They go see AI. Yeah, I think it was a 98% yes vote on SAG after I'm in that same 98% vote. Yeah. And, and Jay, just finally to you, as our, our, we're losing our time slot here, but um, I can see this show. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to, maybe not Broadway, but I can see this off Broadway. I see this in New York. Do you? Yes, I can. I very much can. Uh, you may not. Do you feel that it should be seen? It could be seen in New York. I, I, I can see New York, and as I said, I, I see that. And Sam, Richard, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I see it as a very powerful off-Broadway moment that people uh, would go to. I do too. And Dad has a big name in New York. That's where he came from, and that's that's what he's known for is his New York uh, background. But uh, and Shaw, that's where he's going strong there. Yeah. Uh, the theater there that goes strong with Shaw. And they've been there 12, 14 years now doing very well. And, and, and the good uh, news is you don't have to move the set. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is right. See, you know the guy that does it? You know, I, you know the fellow that does that play there in New York? No, that I don't. Permanent Shaw Theater in New York. Ah, okay. Oh, Gingold. Gingold Theater. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, gotcha. Well, I, it's something to pursue. And Sam, if they did it, I imagine you'd love to go to New York for a while. Yeah. Hey, I love New York. I've, I've seen enough of New York. Thank you. I love <laughs> yeah, Jay's here now. Jay's a transplant. We wooed him over to the our side of the, out of the country. Absolutely. <laughs> I love and it. This, some of the best actors I've ever seen right here. What, without question, Chicago, I, I listen, I've said it on more than once on my TV shows and, and this show. I mean, sh- I know they call Chicago the second city, but when, and I appreciate New York, I respect New York, but, but, uh, Chicago's right up there with them. I want to thank you guys, uh, for joining me. Shaw versus Tunney is playing at Theater Wit. You can get tickets at theaterwit.org. It's playing through July 8th. If there's a change in that date, like uh, some kind of addition, I don't know, or an extension, I will add that onto the website so people can see it. Um, but just it's bravo guys, uh, Sam Richard, especially your performances are amazing. And I congratulate you on those. And Jay, thanks for being born. <laughs> Thank you for having me. All right. Theater wit and theater spelled the proper British way. T R E theater org for tickets through July 8th. Shaw versus Tenney. Thank you. Appreciate all of you being with me.